Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from BBC Studios, the commercial subsidiary of the BBC. Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of the TalentWorks podcast. If you haven't listened to us before, TalentWorks is a production company within BBC Studios and it's aimed at identifying forward-thinking talent with whom it can partner. The podcast is presented by Helen O'Donnell and me, Brona Monaghan. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Taha Khan is a content creator, writer and producer. He makes online comedy videos both for his eponymous YouTube channel and was known for his heartbreaking stop-motion music videos for artists such as Cave Town. Taha was also one of the original members of YouTube's Creators for Change, a programme set up to support creators with big ideas to help counter xenophobia, extremism and hate with stories that promote positive change. Taha took part in our first collaboration with the BBC Writers' Room, and so we were excited to sit down with him and find out what he learnt and where his newfound comedy toolkit has taken him since. Hi Taha. Hello. Thanks for coming into the TalentWorks podcast studio today. Thanks. We haven't actually been together since May, Yeah. Was it? Yeah. When we went away for the writer's room retreat. Yeah. Well, it's good to get you back. Thanks. Um, we really wanted to sort of reflect on that retreat and talk about some of the things that you learned, but also just to talk more about you as a creator because you were the youngest of yeah. the group. So you're really an internet baby. I guess so. I get yeah. I, I I don't I don't see myself as that because that's all I've known. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess I am. Um, can you t- can you tell us sort of what did the internet mean to you growing up? Was it was it always a source of entertainment? Is, is that sort of is that where you consume content? Yeah, definitely. I think I, when I was growing up, I, I think I really remember when the internet really came into my life because we had one computer in the house. And like as a kid, I got like 15 minutes on it every day. So my 15 minutes was like Club Penguin. Um, What's Club Penguin? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Club Penguin is like a... It's like a... I don't even know how to describe it. Your face looked then like, oh my gosh, they are so elderly. <laughs> I've never had to explain Club Penguin to anyone. Um, it's like a it's like a RPG. So it's a role-playing game where you are a penguin uh, and you walk around doing like little mini games and there are other penguins who are other people and you can chat to them. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know how to describe it. You learn something new every day. Yeah. But it was huge. It was like, it was the thing to, to be playing at the time. Um, so it was gaming, kind of, is that how yeah, you Yeah, yeah. First... It was like, I would be gaming with my friends. Like, yeah. you, you would play mini games, and then you could, like, you would win things that you could, like, put in your igloo, which was, like, where you put your trophies or whatever. Um, that's, I'm butchering that explanation. <laughs> um, but then, but then, like, the first time I started consuming content was when I got the first iPod Touch. 
And so my interface with the internet was purely through my iPod Touch, which mm-hmm. was the YouTube app. And like um, the first series I ever watched was called Red vs. Blue, which is the longest running web series of all time. Um, and it was a, it was like a, basically a sitcom that was based in a video game. So it was Machinima. Um, do you know what Machinima is? It's a, is it a gaming company? It is now, but before it was, um, it, it came from like machine and cinema. So yeah. it was people using games to animate little stories. So they'd go, they would use like Halo, for example, and like bob the characters' heads up and down. So they were really ahead of the curve. They were really ahead of the yeah. curve. But it was, it was like now after going to the writer's room, I like retroactively now recognize it as a very traditional sitcom. Okay. Um, but it was like set in space because Halo was a space game. Um, and it was just really funny to me because it was all these like internet jokes and like that was, that was the, that was my like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. That was like what I would go back every week and like make sure there's like what the new episode is, is like um, the thing I'd rush home from school to watch. Um, so that like, that was almost pre-YouTube um, in my head because they, they published on a site called Rooster Teeth. They didn't actually publish on, on YouTube itself. And then I started discovering more content creators, Ryan Heger, um, Dan Howell, who was on the writer's retreat. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say that like my first sort of foray into like a lot of content mm-hmm. consumption was definitely through my upper touch. And during that time growing up, when did you realize you were creative? Um, I never saw myself as a creative person um, growing up. I was really academically gifted. And so I was like, oh, I'm the I'm the like academic one. Um, All I knew that I I guess all I knew was that I wasn't the sporty one because that's what my brother was. Um, And so I was like, oh, I'm the academic one. And then um i started a after red versus blue after red versus blue which was um the the web series based in halo i made a channel making gaming videos um and then that like didn't go very far because i didn't have an xbox so i was actually just ripping people's footage from youtube cutting it up in different ways and putting it up as montages um I, so at, at that point, I didn't really think that was creative. I was just kind of like messing around with editing, editing and things. Um, after that, I, I had a dance channel um, where I would do body popping to in my back garden. Um, and again, that didn't feel creative because it was like, oh, I'm just kind of dancing around to things. Um, but then I had a video. I think it was a Taylor Swift song. It was I knew you were trouble mm-hmm. and you, whatever that song was. Um that that like didn't go viral but it, it got like 100k views and for, which is really good which is really good yeah you're like it didn't go viral but you're also saying 100,000 views is phenomenal it, yeah it, it it definitely was it, it wasn't like um like everyone didn't know who I was you know like pe- like the BBC wasn't knocking on my door to write a profile on me um but it definitely like was a lot of people and um I, I was 14 describe the video oh it was just me in my garden and I was just dancing and the song was playing and it wasn't, it's not great or anything. I think it was just like, I made it just as the song came out. So people were searching for the song and like, you know, it, it was like right place, right time kind of thing. Yeah. I was 14 or 15 at the time, got very scared and deleted my channel because I was like, oh, my parents are going to find out. 
I, I don't want to, like, I was just so scared of the internet and, like, all of that. So I, yeah, I deleted my channel um, and, like, all the videos are gone. Um, and then a couple years later, uh, when I was older, I, like, talked to my parents being like, oh, I want to do YouTube. And, and, like, they were like, all right, that's fine as long as your grades are fine. Um, so it was it was one summer just after school had finished. I, I like, started making weekly videos. Um, and then I, that's when I was, like... I had the confidence to like be like I think I'm funny and I, I think I can make videos like um, uh, the people at the time were like Ryan Heger, Dan Howell, and um, Hamza Productions um, from like he was doing his Diary of a Bad Man series. Um, I think Hamza Productions was like the first time that I saw someone like brown and British be like, oh, I can I can be funny. Like let like that's something that you, you can do as a brown person. You see, it's. It's really hard. I mean, being young, a Muslim, a Pakistani, British citizen, it's, it's all very confusing. Like my Uncle Taj's moustache. Yeah. So anyway, let me get straight to the point, yeah? I'm a Don. I'm perfect. I'm amazing. I'm freaking fantastic. And I'm humble too. And so that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, like, I lo really like this type of humour and, like, there are other brown people that are doing this and I was like all right I can do this too um and then yeah started making comedy and what was your um sort of creative flow was it each week I'm going to think of something new or were you planning it out weeks in advance um definitely just like make a video the next like then the next idea would come like it was the first I think you you get into a honeymoon phase when you first start YouTube and you're just so excited that like you can make whatever you like that I was just like, and I had the whole summer and I basically had no friends. I lived like in a village outside of um, Cambridge. So all of my friends were in Cambridge. And so like, I really couldn't see them as often uh, as they were seeing each other. Um, so I, I really just could just make YouTube videos and I would just like make a YouTube video and immediately come up with another idea. Um, and they weren't great. I, I went back and watched them recently in preparation for this kind of. Uh, and I still laugh at them. Um, I think that like the joke, the comedy beats are there, but like, I don't think I, you know, they're not something I would, I would want anyone else to see. Everyone needs to start somewhere though. Yeah. I'm really proud of where I started. Cause yeah. when I go back and watch other people's first video, I'm like, my first video is better than this first video. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think your comedy, you have a very sensitive approach to comedy. Like I like quite sentimental comedy and mm -hmm. I like social commentary. The reason we came across your channel because of, um, is it, I can't pronounce his name, my accent, but is it Dave? Dave is, Dave, a, Dave is a racist? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell um, us a bit about that video. Yeah, so Dave is a racist is a stop motion, uh, like quite dry, short filmy sort of sketch, um, which actually started because I was like a insecure boy who wanted to continue making videos but had a really big spot on his nose uh and i was like oh no well i don't want to be on camera so what what can i do so i made a sketch called uh i can't i can't quite remember what it was called but it was like something dumb like callum wants to fly or something it was like in the same sort of comedy structure as david's a racist um and i did a stop motion thing because literally i had a spot on my nose and i didn't want to show my face on camera um but Dave is a racist is basically a sketch about a guy who is 
really into maths and hates all other subjects and it's like a parallel between like him loving maths and him being a white nationalist um it's yeah it's a very sort of like absurdist sort of but it it stood out it really stood out i think that i mean when we were going through people that were really keen to bring on the retreat we wanted people who were very unique and I think sometimes there is a tendency on YouTube to feel like you have to fit into a certain trend. And in comedy, the most important thing is is your tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And your video is just so unique to you. Even even the combinations of the stop motion. Thank you. For, the, for you, that was a kind of fulfilling a need because you didn't want to be in camera. But actually, it was that little yeah. element of it that just made it pop a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to talk about the stop motion. Uh, yeah project that you worked on with Cave Town? Yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. So Cave Town is a artist who makes like acoustic pop music. Um, he is also someone that I met at school um, and he came up with an album called Lemon Boy. One of the songs on it was called Green and it was my favorite song and so I was just like like you have to let me make a music video to this song. Um, and so he was like, yeah, go ahead, do do whatever you like. Um, little did he know that I was going to make a stop motion project that was going to last three months. Um, so I got uh, one of my friends, um, Guy Larson, who is a very experienced filmmaker, stop motion guy. Um, he's done music videos for Dodie. He's done stuff for Instagram, like... He's a, he's a big shot. Um, I, I, and I, I had met him like once before, but I was really excited to get other people who were excited about stop motion. Um, and yeah, we we talked about it and we just spent three months in a basement um, stop motion animating this like weird music video about a lemon, a lime and an orange who are like alive and like fall in love and and one of them dies and it's very tragic yeah it's very tragic i i was really surprised by the fact that the in my head it wasn't at, like in my head it was more funny than it was tragic but mm-hmm. then when we started animating it and when we started like storyboarding it it was like oh this is actually a really heartfelt sad story and it's not funny mm. at all tell us more about what happens in it because it is beautiful yeah the so concept of it's like giving yourself, isn't it, mm-hmm. to the people? Yeah, the, the the song is about kind of letting someone kind of move on and and knowing that you're not right for 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 them, and they have they you know they can build a life with someone else. Essentially, I think. Um, and so the story is basically a lemon and a lime who have a um, relationship um, that's kind of unspecified. You know, it's, it's not necessarily romantic, but one the lime is giving way more um, to the relationship than the lemon. Um, and then and then the lemon gets frustrated that the lime isn't giving more. So the lemon leaves um, and the lime finds a more healthy relationship with the orange. Um, and you can see why this would be funny, right? <laughs> it's like so, so stupid. Um, and then, and then the, the lemon like realizes that what what they had was was so great and like wants to wants to give back but just before they can um they get eaten by a massive turtle um <laughs> and yeah and and then and then the lime discovers that and like 
buries the the lemon and, and that's kind of the end of it and so but the depiction of it through like giving too much to yourself is depicted through juicing yeah 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 it's like they, they pour like lemon juice and lime juice and hand them to each other so all of it was like really really stupid in my head i'm like oh add some more like ridiculousness to this and like it it was so funny to see my initially very very funny idea very cartoonish idea um guy has like a very um sort of dark direction that he usually takes things um and he's he's a really heartfelt storyteller so you know the combination of the two like really really like made this really really tragic thing well one of the things that we learned was that comedy and tragedy are so yeah. there's a very very fine line yeah absolutely like i'm i'm writing something right now that's um whenever i pitch it to people people laugh but it's like there's no jokes in it which is <laughs> like i'm telling the story of a family but only through their toothbrushes um and like every time i tell the story everyone's like oh that's really funny like that's going to be such a interesting way of doing it but like i'm like oh no you're going to cry like this <laughs> this is not going to be funny at all but my writing always comes from a place of making something really funny mm-hmm. um and but then it goes wherever it goes so tell us a little bit more about um let's talk about the writer's room mm-hmm. um i'd love to hear first of all your what you enjoyed about it i'd love to hear sort of the highlights because we, we did a few different um sort of concepts and workshopped a few different elements of comedy tell me first what what was your favorite part what did you enjoy the most What did I enjoy the most? I think that what I enjoyed the most was like having all of these realizations as someone who's like the youngest and like not hasn't done anything um, like hasn't had a traditional sort of I haven't studied comedy or drama or theater or writing or filmmaking or anything. Um, I think there are a lot of sort of like realizations that I had of like, oh, that's how things happen or like just like the way um sitcoms are are written or like the way improv happens all of these things really felt really nebulous and and inaccessible to Mm -hmm. me so there was a lot of like what I enjoyed the most was just someone who has done this for a really long time coming down and whatever their respective area was just like explaining how it works in like very plain ways because now I can like actually sit and watch a sitcom and see the mechanics of it and like be like okay how would I alter these mechanics and like how would I do that I think a lot of the time I'd be like oh it would be really cool if I could write a sitcom but like I don't even know I don't even know how to start imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. What I really loved was finding out that no one's original and that, like, it's all about your voice. Like, I think that that learning that was, like, such a reassure, like, it reassured me to no end because I was like, trying to be like one of a kind is mm. so glorified, especially now where everyone can be, there's no gatekeepers. So like everyone's trying to be new and unique, but it's like, oh, you, you already are unique. You know, it's like, it was really nice to, to kind of discover that. Well, the thing is everyone's got a unique perspective mm-hmm. and different life experience. So it's trying to distill your perspective into that framework. I just can never stop thinking of, you know, Ursula in The Little Mermaid when she's like, I just want your voice. <laughs> it's like, that's it, isn't it? That's all you can ask for somebody. Yeah. That they've got a really unique voice and that they're willing to share it with people. Yeah. Because everything can be taught in terms of structure or, like you say, like improv or like even topical joke writing, like mm. how to write a joke in two lines. All that can be taught, but your unique perspective on the world cannot be. Yeah, and then since since we last saw you in May, you've actually been to VidCon where Helen was a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah, and you did some stand up. I did some stand up. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so, have you done stand up before? That was my third time ever. Okay. So, for context, that was in front of what seven hundred and fifty people. Yeah. When we say like stand up, we're not thinking like a tiny room in the back of a pub. <laughs> So, all safe to contact, what is VidCon? Oh, yes. VidCon is a video convention um, that was set up by the Vlogbrothers. Um, it's like YouTube Christmas. Yeah. Everyone's it's like there. the Comic-Con of YouTube. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a better way of de- describing it. <laughs> uh, it feels like YouTube Christmas. Um, everyone's there. Like, all of these really cool um, creators are there. Everyone's really excited about um, what everyone else is kind of doing um there was a huge tiktok presence this year which was really exciting um i got to learn about what the hell's happening on tiktok um it really feels like every year everyone comes together and like shares ideas and like has a really great time and um and then everyone has like a new lease of life on like uh on what can be done on on the internet Um, i agree i think you would struggle to come away with that not inspired by something yeah yeah. Whether it was a new way of editing or a new way of mm. telling your story or a new way of, I don't know, cutting your content down is yeah. inspiring on all levels. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's it's so great to be in a place, especially because like creating content on the internet is such a solitary thing. Being with other people who just get it and you don't have to like do the pretense of like, Okay, so YouTube, it's like... What do you do? Yeah, yeah. What is that? Yeah. Just being like, oh, I get it. Like, don't even don't even worry it's about like it. It's like a shortcut. Yeah, and like, you can actually get into the discussions of that you have with yourself all of the time, but with other people. Um, and especially as a creator, hanging out with other creators is always like, they they are going through the same struggles, but some of them are like 10 years down the line in terms of their journey, like... Someone like Hank talking to him, who's like set up like four companies and, you know, he, he, he for, for context, he's the one who started VidCon. Um, but like talking to him about things, like he has such a great perspective 
Um, but then also talking to like a TikToker who's just started and has this huge excitement that you like I had when I did like when I started with my first ever video, and it's so cool to have both of those perspectives interacting and like having that be like the, the inspiration be the synthesis of all of those conversations. Um, it's just a really exciting place. Your stand-up yes. at VidCon. Oh, yeah. So picture the scene. We're in a room. There's probably like 750 yeah. people there. It's conference room, but it's yeah. got low lighting. So you do feel like you're in a comedy club. Mm. Taha takes to the stage. Yes. Um, I had no material um, on purpose. I, ha- uh, I had an opening joke just to make sure that like I had something. Um, and then I just had to fill 10 minutes, I think it was. Um and the reason I went on with no material was just because currently I'm just working on my stage presence. I was in America, so any of the jokes that I would start developing in America, I won't, wouldn't want to use in, in the UK because my humor is very British in its in its kind of delivery. Um, it's very awkward. It's very subtle. And Americans just don't don't really gel with that. Um, they, they really need to be kind of... Um, hit over the head with with the punchline or like they they're more used to laughing at traditional comedy structures um and so deconstructing that in front of them isn't going to work every time um so I was just just working on my my stage presence and so it was it was it's a blur for me like I don't remember anything I said I was going to say how did it feel it felt it felt like it felt I felt much better than the first time I did it which was 1 year ago on that stage so the first time I ever did stand up was in front of 750 people on that stage again. Um, and I had material um, from my Twitter, which was just, I just got some funny things that I've said in the past and I said, I know these work, I'm just going to say them. Uh, and that went well, but the one note I got was my stage presence wasn't great. So this time I was just like, okay, stage presence, let's just work on stage presence. Um, but I don't remember most of what happened. It really felt like I was, I went on and then... I, I came off and it was just like people laughed in, in the interim but like yeah it, it was it was very like as soon as I came off I was like I could do another 10 minutes like I, I really was just like I need another like I'm, I think I'm hooked now now I've like I've signed up for every open mic in London um they're all on like waiting lists and stuff so um are you gonna do the same thing no material I think I'm good with no material now. Okay. I think I think that like everyone said my stage presence was good. Um I think I need jokes now. And now that I'm in the UK, I'm like hoping to like really write if I can get like one one five minute slot every night, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can do I can practice my five minutes, write five minutes, get it really clean, and then work on another five minutes and like in six weeks, I could potentially have thirty minutes. Um, that's so exciting. Yeah, that's that's so are you, cool. Are you going to test stuff on YouTube? You going to put I'm, anything on? I'm going to. I think I'm going to put the whole. I'm going to put the whole special on YouTube. Okay. Like if I was if I was to make a special, I think that like I so believe that like people want to watch stand up comedy on YouTube. I think the fact that Netflix has taken a lot of the stand up comedy stuff is like such a tragedy for YouTube. Because everyone used to, like, that was the original kind of thing that people used to do on YouTube was watch up, stand-up though. clips. What the, the industry would say, well, I, I'm not speaking the whole of the industry. <laughs> Netflix have taken them essentially from DVDs. DVDs used to be the way that people watch stand-up. So if you think, like, Peter Kay back in the day, Michael McIntyre, John Bishop, all those kind of traditional stand-ups, they went from selling 
hundreds of thousands mm. on DVD and now Netflix have picked it up. I think so what's interesting is you're coming out from... When I, when, how I consume... Yeah, how you consume how, yeah, it. How I consume stand-up is five-minute clips on YouTube. Yeah. And I, the fact that like YouTube has a YouTube premium service and they're not doing what Netflix are doing. like They're literally not funding like, comedians, comedians like, which yeah. is ridiculous to me because I think that my generation, all they want to do is watch short, funny clips... Well, Colleen's has been picked up by Netflix, hasn't it? Yeah, and 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 she's literally a YouTuber. Like, surely YouTube would have wanted to. I, I mean, I I don't know. I don't really we know. We don't what, know. No. Yeah, we don't. We don't really know what happened there. But like, in my head, I'm like, I want one of the people I really look up to is Bo Burnham, and he put his whole special on 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 Netflix on um, what's it? YouTube. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and I that's how I discovered Bo Burnham. Um, I just watched this whole special on on YouTube, and I think I think more I think more like young comedians should just be like filming ten minute sets and just putting them on YouTube. Um, and the fact that that's not happening is like really sad to me. So Bo Burnham's a great example of somebody mm-hmm. who's gone from YouTube to f- long form director. He wrote Eighth Grade, which was phenomenal. I feel like we've not touched with you just on this conversation about all the other things you do. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just very quickly talk about the... Everything else. Just the everything else. Okay. So I was a creative director for Cave Town. So I did um, a couple of his music videos and just generally his art direction um, for a while. Um, I ran the panels. I was panels coordinator at Summer in the City, which is um, our version of VidCon. By our, I mean the UK. Um um, so I did that for three years. That was when I was like 17, 18, 19. Um, and then what else? What else do I do? Uh, I'm a university student. So I'm doing politics, philosophy and economics um, at university. And then, oh, I, I helped write some like educational entertainment um, stuff with um, like various channels and just like kind of helping people um grow their own projects on youtube kind of i did some consulting stuff um with people launching patreons um kind of like just to get myself really in the teeth of the industry and like making sure that i understand everything so i've done a little bit of everything um outside of outside of that and then i have my own channel um that was um mainly comedy um with like a political twist um my main platform, I would say, I would arguably, um, is Twitter. Um, I love Twitter. I think that it's such like a dark horse um, as a platform. I think really cool and interesting things have been happening on that platform for years. And I think that people are still screenshotting things from Twitter and putting them on Facebook and Instagram. What's next for you? Um, what is next for me? I... I'm going into my final year of university, um, I, which is the most boring thing out of all of the things I think that are going to be next for me. But that's meant that like I've seriously been thinking about what I want to do post-university. Um, and so one of the things I really want to do is working on stand-up. Um, being on tour with Cave Town for a couple, uh, a couple of tours has really like got that bug of like traveling and like working um in me so I've just come back from America which I was there for a month and a half 
and I would love to be able to like just travel the UK and do comedy. Um, and then I am writing a couple of short films. Um, I am um, really, really hoping after like doing YouTube and having that lead to a bunch of opportunities, um, doing all of those like Summer in the City and Cave Town and things like that. I really want to go back to YouTube and um, build something not of significance because I think that I've uh, like I think that everything I've done so far is also of, of significance. However, I think that I've never like really truly tried to cultivate an audience for my own voice, um, and I would love to do that. So like I'm I'm really hoping to do things on my own YouTube and put my put my own stamp on it and like have my own creative control on everything. Um, so I'm really in a place of like inflection where I'm finished a bunch of projects um, and I'm about to start like a whole new chapter of like being being on YouTube and doing my own thing. It sounds really exciting and I love the fact that you've already booked in all of these shows like you need to cut your teeth in comedy mm, and yeah. I think doing all those all of those open mics mm-hmm. that's kind of the birth. Yeah the I'd birth of that's Ooh. what you should call your show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm excited for it. I think it could be a thing of like in three weeks, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, comedy wasn't for me. So this this podcast would age really badly. But Or it could be a thing of like, oh, this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But um, I'm really in a place of like everything that I have been doing and everything that I'm, I'm about to do are like quite different um, because... I think that I haven't, I've spent a lot of time focusing on building things for other people. And that was a really great way of like honing my skills in producing and writing. And I have never given myself permission to write something for myself. And I think being at the the writer's retreat really helped with that. Um, I think I... I think it was kind of clear during the writer's retreat that I didn't, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and I didn't feel like I belonged there. Um, and I think that that was mainly because I wasn't giving myself permission to, to, to write and be good enough to be my own voice. Um, so I'm kind of just working on that, I think, for the next year. You definitely need to give yourself more credit. Thanks. We believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we loved having you as part of the writer's retreat. Um, and we're very excited to see these next next videos coming out. And hopefully so we can too. come and see one of your shows in London. Ooh. Pressure's Great. on. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about us, we're on Instagram at BBC Studios Talentworks. This podcast is produced by Shola Alege for BBC Studios. 